0: Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, who here, by show of hands, loves superheroes? Does anyone? Okay, good. We have some superhero people in The house. So, I am going to need some participation from you guys this morning. And this may be a little bit different than what most of you are used to. I know whoever is up here is typically not asking you to yell out answers. Um, But I spend just about every Sunday back in eKids in our children's classrooms. And that's exactly what we do every Sunday is we ask kids to yell answers at us in order to get them fired up about what we are learning about that day. So if you're watching online, welcome. You can also yell out your answers. It'd be a little bit weirder because I don't know where you are, but maybe that'd make it more fun. Um, Otherwise, you can just put your answers in the chat. Chat as well. Um, forewarning, we may be starting some fights today. It happened first service. I expect it to continue on for the rest of the day, um, because the thing that we're about to do is put superheroes head to head. Okay, I don't know how passionate you guys are about superheroes. Some of you might be really passionate. Some of you might not care. I'm not sure. I'm not positive yet, but we're going to find out. Um, and I'm also I'm keeping track of all of them today. Um, And maybe we'll be able to put them on social media or something so you guys know where all of you stand as a church when it comes to superheroes as well. So we're going to start easy and maybe get a little bit more difficult. Um, So first one, it's like the classic, Batman or Superman? Superman! All right. Uh, We are using children's ministry rules, which is just loudest wins. So just so you guys know... Not counting, I'm not. It's just whoever's the loudest—that's the winner. So, Superman. Um, okay, Spider-Man or the Hulk? Spider-Man! Oh, oh, Spider-Man! <laughs> Spider-Man won. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Captain Marvel or Scarlet Witch? Scarlet! Yeah, that was—that's was easy. Scarlet Witch won. If you guys—if you couldn't hear it, I can hear it. Trust me. Um, okay. Just prepare yourselves for this one, please thor or wonder woman? wonder woman this happened last time too i don't even know all right what? that's that's cheating you can't wait till everyone's done and then be the loudest okay there's one more t- one we're gonna do it one more time hold on okay thor or wonder woman, wonder woman! i don't know this happened last t- i'm just gonna give both of them the point it happened last service too, so actually uh, our next service is going to be the whoever decides that one. Um, and you may feel like I've just cheated a little bit because I did intentionally mix up DC and Marvel, and some of you might have a really big problem with that. Others of you, you might not have even noticed that that just happened. Um, so we should also probably do this just to get things straight. Uh, DC or Marvel? Marvel! Yeah, it's not even a competition. <laughs> Um, I was going to try and say impartial, but absolutely right, like Marvel is the correct answer in that one. Um, I mean, just in terms of like impact on overall world, like franchise history, I think Marvel has done something that no other movie franchise has ever done in terms of their storytelling and movies and interweaving of everything that they have done. Um, I personally love superheroes. Two of my favorites are going to be our last vote. Uh, Captain America or Iron Man? Oh man, I think Captain America won that one. I do, I'm sorry. Um, all right, no, this is good. We're going we're gonna to come down to the wire next service. Uh, before I get carried away, I do want to introduce myself. My name is Brendan Anderson. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. Those are my students. Uh, And we are currently in week three of a sermon series called Unsung Heroes, looking at people in the Bible that honestly most of us overlook. And all of our stories that we've told so far, they've fallen under some sort of genre of storytelling. Uh, Two weeks ago was actually a Sabbath Sunday, but uh, Pastor Jared, our worship pastor, and I, we went up to VidaVu and got to film a sermon for you guys. Uh, We told a fairy tale about our unsung heroine, Jehoshaba. Last week was a documentary. We got to look in depth at the disciples of Jesus, specifically Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. This week, if you haven't already guessed it by the use of superheroes, is an action story. Because today, we're going to talk about conflict. I choose action as today's genre because I personally believe that action and conflict, they just go hand in hand. Like, some sort of action caused conflict to happen, and then action also follows whatever that conflict is. And I know basically every Marvel movie here, every Marvel Hero movie involves some sort of conflict, because it would be a very boring movie if it did not involve some sort of conflict. But for our unsung hero today and the story that we're actually going to read involving him, there's honestly one specific Marvel movie, which I happen to really love centering around the last two heroes that we voted on that pretty much sums up what we're also going to be discussing today. It's going to be up on the screen for you guys to see. It is Captain America Civil War. Okay, It's about to get tense in here today. Uh, if you don't know what happens in Captain America Civil War, it's been out for five years. I'm allowed to spoil it. That's just how it works. Um, this is one of the Marvel movies where... Uh, Captain America and Iron Man, they have a fight, obviously, and they eventually split up at the end. They go their separate ways, like we do not come to a nice conclusion in this movie, guys. Um, and that's pretty much the gist of it. Now, my hope through this entire series has not only been to hopefully be teaching you guys and sharing things that I think are beneficial and necessary to your lives, things that we all need to learn, but also to just show how fun and exciting and sometimes different and weird and chaotic reading scripture can actually be. I've wanted to share lesser known people inside of the Bible because there are so many people that do amazing things that we just don't ever get to talk about. So I want us to see how sometimes when we read the Bible, it can sound less like this really old, boring book, but how sometimes it can literally sound like the script to a Hollywood superhero movie. So let's talk about conflict. More specifically, our big question for today is going to be on the screens, and it's this. What do I need to know about Christian conflict? What do I need to know about Christian conflict? The main scripture is Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 39. But similar to last week, we're kind of going to be in a couple of different places in the book of Acts. you want to follow along closely or watch the screens as well. And the unsung hero of today is going to be a man named Barnabas. Barnabas is our hero of the day. So you may have noticed I wanted to make sure that I use the word Christian inside of our big question because that's what's going to what all of our points are really going to revolve around. It's not just conflict, but how do we as Christians respond to it? Like, how do we deal with conflict? And if you're here today and you do not believe in God, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. First of all, I'm so excited that you are here. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And I hope you know, here at Element, you don't ever have to believe what we believe to still feel welcomed and loved every time you show up. And maybe the best part about today is you don't have to be a Christian to handle conflict in the ways that I think we should. I think regardless of your faith, this right here is the optimal way to handle conflict inside of basically any setting you find yourself in. So let's dive into our action story. Let's meet the Tony Stark and Steve Rogers of Scripture If you have your Bible or your phone, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. If you forgot your Bible, as always, all the scripture is going to be up on the screens. We're going to be a couple different places, so it'll be easy to read it up there as well. And if you're here today and you don't own your own Bible, please don't leave today without one. My desire in this series has been to get people excited to read scripture. So stop by guest services after the service and just ask for a Bible. We'd love to give you one free of charge for you to take home. What do I need to know? about Christian conflict? Well, number one is this. Conflict demands attention. Conflict demands attention. Acts chapter four, starting in verse 36, says this. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So this is the first time Barnabas appears in scripture for us. He's nicknamed the son of encouragement, and from everything we read, he is portrayed and known as a man who is generous and loving. He was an apostle in the early church days. This is right when the church is starting off, like very, very beginning. And one of the biggest things we learn about him, something that really makes him stand out from the other disciples that we do know about, is the fact that when all the other Christians of the early church denied and didn't trust Saul when he first came to them claiming to be a Christian, Barnabas is the one who believed in him. Now, we're throwing a lot of characters right out at the gate, and they do this a lot in movies too, where you're like, man, I don't know who that is, I don't know who that is, but we're going to eventually figure out who they are. But I need to make a side note here about Saul, because Saul is a pretty important dude to our story. Saul was a devout Jewish leader. We would know him as a Pharisee. During this time, not only was he a Pharisee, but he was known for tracking down, persecuting, and ultimately killing Christians of the early church. But Jesus intervened in his life. He revealed himself to Saul and then radically changed his life. So Saul then completely flipped his life around, and instead of killing Christians, he went out and became one of the greatest evangelists of all time, planting new churches, encouraging them, uh, building up and leading other Christians. He went on to write at least 13 books that are found inside of Scripture in the New Testament as well, but... The other disciples don't know this. We know this, obviously, because it's much later in history. So we know what happens to Saul. But put yourself in the shoes of the other disciples. This guy was known for killing other Christians. So when Saul first came to them and was like, hey, listen, I'm changed. I'm not killing people anymore. I actually, I know Jesus. Like, he talked to me, so I want to follow him. I believe in him. I want to go around preaching about Jesus and planting churches. Like, big surprise, nobody believed him except for Barnabas. And so Barnabas brought him before the other disciples and he vouched for him in Acts chapter nine, verse 27. It's not on the screens, but basically, he just told them how Saul had seen the Lord and Jesus had changed his life. And instead of persecuting Christians, he was actually proclaiming Jesus's name um, to other people who hadn't met him yet, okay? So he's just preaching boldly about this Jesus dude. So Barnabas was a good guy. All right, we chose a great hero to make the main character of our story. And I think you must have been to earn that nickname, son of encouragement. Like not only was he known for encouraging like other believers and people that he probably liked, but like this guy is encouraging the persecutor and killer of Christians too. Like Barnabas's encouragement knew no bounds when it came to uh, building people up. And so Barnabas and Saul after this, they actually team up. OK, it's the first time they've really gotten to know each other. So they, they actually team up and they start doing ministry together. And again, we're in an action story. So I kind of envision this like the very first Marvel movie, you know, where like some of the superheroes, they knew each other, like they had connections. So that's like kind of the other disciples that kind of knew each other already. But then like the new characters come onto the scene and they're like, hey, we want to join the team. And the other guy's are like, well, I don't trust you really yet. But they're like, no, but we're really powerful. Or like in this case, like we're really good preachers. Um, And that's kind of what's happening in this action story right now. Like this duo, they join together so they can do even more incredible things. And so you can actually read the entire book of Acts like an action movie. Um, I think, honestly, it reads better like a comic book or a Marvel movie than um, what we typically read it as, which is usually sort of boring. But Barnabas and Saul, they team up, okay, and they start going on missionary trips together to spread the gospel, to plant new churches, to convert new Christians into the faith. Some of you already, you're getting like that glazed look in your eye because this is sounding more like a documentary like last week than really an action movie. I get that. Um, We're almost there, okay? We haven't hit the action yet, but we had to get the characters and get everyone in their places so we know what's about to happen. We're building the tension right now. Um, We need to meet one more character that's really important to our story, okay? So our duo is doing work, and then in Acts chapter 12, it says this in verse 25, that when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. We're just gonna know him as John Mark, okay? So John Mark, he's on the scene. John Mark, he's an important guy, okay? He joins Barnabas and Saul, as an assistant to their missionary work. So he's not really preaching. He's not really leading the team. He's there as an assistant to help them out as they continue doing missionary work. Um, And this right here, this is the rising action. Prepare yourselves, buckle your seatbelts. Okay, Acts chapter 13. We're gonna read verses one through three and then jump straight to verse 13. It says this starting in verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off to do more missions. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, this is John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. So you might have noticed actually in that last verse that Saul's name is now Paul, and that actually happens in Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Um, and from then on, for whatever reason, like Saul no longer exists, and we just get Paul. Like anytime Paul refers to himself, it says Paul, and anytime anyone else refers to it, it's no longer Saul, now he's Paul. We just I need to make that clear so we understand, because it's like, where did this guy come from? Um, So the boys are together, right? They're off doing work. They're doing missionary things. They're planting churches. They're encouraging believers. And they continue their work by sailing to Perga. But this is where John Mark just pieces out and he returns to Jerusalem. And that's all we really get. Like we don't get a reason. We don't get a conversation recorded in scripture. We don't get any kind of motivation as to what happens. In fact, Barnabas and Paul, they don't even mention it. Like They just keep going on and doing their work. Um, until we make it to our main scripture for today. If you guys want to turn with me to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 39 says this, that after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. I know it's taken us a long time to get to this point to see the conflict actually take place, but we had to understand. The context of this, like the friendship and disagreement that then followed. And just for fun, I wanted to make a comparison with our movie at this point too. So if you guys remember back a long time ago, Avengers came out in 2012, which blows my mind. Avengers is almost 10 years old. And then we had four years of Marvel-filled wonderfulness as they continued to come out with more and more movies. And then Captain America Civil War came out in 2016. So basically... This team together um, was doing missions, fighting together, and then they come to this huge conflict four years later. For us, this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, it obviously caused a split and for them to go separate ways. Um, But we need to understand that the book of Acts is not written in a way where we really understand the timeline of events. We started today in Acts chapter 9. We're now in chapter 15. And in between that time of Paul and Barnabas first starting on their missionary trips and then to this point where they decide never to work with each other ever again, it's been seven years. Seven years of working together and fighting with one another and hoping to further God's kingdom with the truth of God the gospel. Seven years together, and then this happens. And you might be thinking that this is like overly dramatic, right? It feels that way. It kind of feels more dramatic than it should be because John Mark merely returned to Jerusalem instead of continuing into Perga. Like that's all we get is he just decides to go back to Jerusalem. But in our main scripture, we actually see this word deserted that Paul uses, that John Mark deserted us when we went to Perga, And I looked up the Greek, and this is originally written in Greek, so it's different words and they can have a little bit different meanings than we understand them. The Greek word deserted is aphisteme, and it means to desert, withdraw from, or to fall away, become faithless. So I don't think this was simply a conflict over John Mark not wanting to go to Perga with the team. It seems like Paul did not even trust him to continue spreading the gospel or spreading his faith because he uses this word like, no, he's faithless. And I love Barnabas' response because not only is he a son of encouragement, but in this story right here, Barnabas is a loyal guy. He stands up for Mark. Whom I'm sure at this point is probably feeling some shame for his previous actions if he did in fact desert them. I think maybe one of the most important things to address, or one of the most important things to start with when it comes to conflict is simply acknowledging and addressing it. Conflict demands attention. Barnabas, he could have just gone along with Paul and continued on to do missionary work. Like Barnabas didn't need to bring up Mark or come to such a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas would actually split ways instead of continuing to work together. But I think if he hadn't stood his ground at this point or pointed out where he thought Paul was wrong and why he thought he was wrong, then resentment would have been festering inside of him. They might have continued working together, sure, but I can't imagine it would have been as successful or fruitful because of the animosity that would have been growing due to this distrust and disagreement. I think the very first thing we have to be okay with and sometimes even embrace as Christians inside of the church and outside is just giving conflict the attention it demands, that we can't avoid it, we can't deny it. We can't sweep it under the rug and hope that it goes away because all it does then is grow. Jesus actually talks about this very idea in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Uh, Jesus says this in verse 15 that if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So basically, if you have conflict with somebody, go and point it out. Don't gossip don't avoid. Don't just get angry and bitter and resentful. Don't let that become the weight that holds you down, but instead give conflict the attention it demands. What do I need to know about Christian conflict? It demands attention. And number two is this, that conflict desires resolution. Remember, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark and he went off and sailed for Cyprus. And I have not met this person yet. If you are this person, don't tell me because I'm not going to believe you. We're just going to fight about it. Um, I don't actually believe that there is anyone who loves conflict and wants to see it just continue on forever. Like, none of us want that. When, when conflict arises, and sooner or later it will, there typically is only two things that you can do when it comes to conflict. We can either ignore it and sweep it away or we take action and we address it. And both of those lead to a resolution, but only one of those things, I believe, leads to a positive type of resolution. You see, when we avoid conflict, either through pretending it isn't there or sweeping it under the rug, thinking that somehow, some way, this is just going to fix itself, or like we won't have to worry about it anymore, the problem is that it tends to grow. The conflict evolves and it changes, and now all of a sudden it's no longer conflict, it's also bitterness. Now it's not just conflict, it's also resentment, it's rage. Maybe now conflict has turned into gossip and rumors, it's lies. It can morph and evolve into these really unhealthy, hurtful ways, making us question more than just the conflict. Sometimes when left unchecked and when not given the attention it demands, conflict becomes more than we can handle, and because of that, it can ultimately ruin our relationships. See, God's been doing a thing personally for me because this used to be me. Like, I was a sweeper. I would avoid conflict like the plague, um, pretend like it wasn't there until it was literally forced in front of me. And a lot of times, I would be more worried or more concerned about the consequence of the conflict than actually addressing it, rather than the fallout that could happen because I was never addressing it. So honestly, for me, this story was a tough one. Um, I think most of us can agree that when we talk about conflict, and when we think about specifically addressing it so that it doesn't become worse— um, so that it doesn't grow out of hand, it doesn't become the gossip and the resentment and the anger that usually comes with avoiding or pretending like it's not there. We like to think that if we can just, we can just address it, that things are gonna get better, that there will be an apology, that things are going to change, or we'll be able to continue with our relationship with that person like we never had conflict to begin with. Even our verse in Matthew, it says something similar, like, hey, if they listen and they confess their wrongs to you, like, you've won that person over, congratulations, throw a party, Right? But that doesn't seem to be what happens here. Like Paul and Barnabas, they share such a sharp disagreement that they separate. And I don't know for sure if this is what happened or if I can even pose this and it's beneficial, but I wonder if Barnabas just wasn't able to win Paul over. Like he already followed what Jesus had taught Barnabas did. And remember, they didn't have the Gospels at this point, like we do. Like, we're lucky. We get to just go back and see what Jesus said. Like, this is early church. They didn't have all the writings of Jesus to look back on yet. So Paul and Barnabas, they can't actually take Scripture to each other and be like, yeah, but here's what Jesus said. Do you remember this? And so I know that Barnabas immediately took action to address the conflict that he saw standing right there in front of him. And that conflict, like all conflict, it resulted in resolution It's just not one I like. I don't like them splitting ways. I don't like the idea that they couldn't work things out together. I don't like the idea that these two friends that worked together for seven years found themselves in this place. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if when Barnabas addressed Paul, if he didn't actually win him over. Personally, I believe that Paul is not very forgiving in this situation. If you guys have read Paul's letters before, he's not typically a really forgiving guy to begin with. Um, but here in this story, like I actually get it. Like Mark deserted them, possibly without even telling them what he was going to do or why he was doing it or give any sort of reason. But that doesn't mean that Paul shouldn't have had more compassion on him. And I wonder if Barnabas had done, I wonder if Barnabas had done what Jesus actually says to do next in our Matthew passage, if that would have helped and they could have. Helped win Paul over more. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, following that first one that we read, says this that if you are unsuccessful, and personally, I think Barnabas was unsuccessful in this situation, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And I wonder if that should have been the next step for Barnabas before splitting ways and not working side by side anymore. I I wonder if they should have done this. And it's not like they didn't continue God's kingdom. It's not like they didn't continue spreading the gospel. I mean, Paul obviously did. He goes on to write 13 letters that we find inside of scripture. And we don't hear a lot about Barnabas, but church tradition says that he continued on to do ministry. So I like to think that neither of them, even in this situation where they went ways, that they didn't actually blame each other for what happened. I like to think that they knew that what the other person was going to be doing was important work. And even if they didn't completely agree on the conflict or with each other, that it ultimately came to a resolution and that they still loved each other and cared for each other. And you might be wondering why I think that. And it's because of point number three, and it's this, that Christian conflict denies grudges. Christian conflict denies grudges. This last one right here is maybe actually the hardest. Um, Conflict in general is not fun to deal with. I get that. Um, But if you want to talk about the aftermath of conflict, this right here is where I think we really need to dig in our heels as Christians. Because if resolution doesn't go the way we desire, uh, most of the time, it's going to leave a really bad taste in your mouth. Maybe we feel like we lost the conflict that we needed to address, or the person wasn't seeing our reasoning or our logic behind what we had tried to talk to them about. Or maybe it's like what we see here, that no one is necessarily wrong. Like, Paul's not wrong. Barnabas isn't wrong. I mean, Paul had every right to deny bringing somebody along with him. He just did. He's the one off leading this charge. And Barnabas, he isn't tied to Paul. Like, Barnabas does not have to continue with him to do work. He can go and choose to do ministry with whoever he'd like. But I put myself in their shoes, and man, can I imagine that they both had the right to hold a grudge against the other person. If I was Paul, I would be really upset if the guy that I had been doing ministry with for seven years was willing to just throw that away in order to go chase after somebody who had ditched us on a missionary trip? Like, why would Barnabas choose Mark? And if I was Barnabas, I would think that Paul is not only being excessively harsh, but I would question whether he was actually living out the grace and forgiveness that Jesus not only embodied, but also had already shown Paul in his life. Like, how can he deny someone continuing to come alongside him and spread the gospel? How do you say no to letting someone experience more and more of God's forgiveness and his grace? Because we're not cast aside in God's eyes when we mess up, when we fail, when we take a wrong turn, or like Mark, when we literally run in the opposite direction of what we're supposed to be doing. It's not how God works. So there is absolutely ground for these two men to hold grudges against each other. They have every right to be angry and never speak to each other again, but I don't believe it's the Christian way to handle it. Unfortunately, I don't know what happened in our story. That's the problem with these unsung heroes is we don't get a lot of scripture to really work with and see how it all plays out, but... If we hadn't slowed down and taken a really closer look at the book of Acts, one that I, this story here that I think is overlooked in scripture, then we wouldn't know what to look for in some of Paul's letters that he writes later on in his life. Paul's letters actually show us that these relationships not only survived the conflict, but he went on to still work with them as well. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 6 says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves so I love that, it's real cheeky. And I know, this doesn't mean that they really worked together again. It doesn't mean that they forgave each other necessarily. I am posing that they did, because if Paul was holding a grudge, I don't think he would have given Barnabas as the example of someone still working to continue the gospel. And he had plenty of other people he could have chosen in his place. But then we also have these next verses. Philemon chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. So do Mark, and that's John Mark. That's our guy. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my coworkers, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Or another translation says, greet him with great joy. Like that's a huge shift from not even wanting to bring Mark along with him on a missionary trip to telling people who you have been encouraging and leading to greet this man with great joy when he makes his way there. I believe that Paul had a change of heart and attitude when it comes to his conflict and disagreement with not only Barnabas, but also Mark. And what I love about this is it's not even just a random guy in Scripture. The Mark that Paul refused to bring along on his missionary trips because he thought the guy was faithless is the same Mark that then would be credited as writing the Gospel of Mark, detailing Jesus' story to The world. It just so happens to also be the action gospel in my book, which just works out really well for our action story today. I want us to look back at what Jesus said in the Matthew passage about conflict, how we address it and deal with it. We're going to go back to the very beginning and actually read through it to the end of what he says. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17 says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others and go again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. And you might be thinking, hold on a second, I thought we weren't allowed to hold grudges. And I specifically remember, because all of you were here last week, and we talked about Matthew the tax collector last week, that when it came to tax collectors, they were ostracized, shunned, and kicked out of Jewish affairs. Basically, they were written off in the world by the rest of the Jewish people. So I need us to understand the context of this verse. If a believer is wrong, then go to them and talk about it. If they don't listen to you, bring a couple of other people with you so that everything you say can be witness. And if they still are not going to listen to it, you can bring it in front of the church, some leadership, a third party, whatever it is, so that they can come to and say, hey, actually, you're in the wrong in this place. If they refuse to listen to all of that and decide to continue doing what they're doing, then it says that you can write them off. Jesus is saying like, hey, Deal with them like a pagan, deal with them like a tax collector. But we have choices, especially when it comes to conflict. We have the choice to give it our attention, the attention that it demands, or sweep it under the rug. We get to choose whether we're gonna pursue resolution or let it fester and lead to bitterness and contempt. And, rage. and I believe, like Paul and Barnabas, we have the choice to live our life free of grudges, free of the burden that a grudge can be put on us because a few verses later, Jesus is not done talking. And Peter asks him something because Peter, he's like the best boy. Like he, he loves Jesus and he's like, Jesus, you're going to see how great I am. Because in verse 21, it says this, that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, Lord? No, Peter. Yes, you're a good boy. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Because if a person comes to you and asks for forgiveness, we forgive. We show mercy. We continue to work for the betterment of the gospel, for furthering God's kingdom, and we show an example to the rest of the world by how we deal with conflict, how we love and care for one another post-conflict, just like Jesus does, just like Barnabas, our son of encouragement, the unsung hero of today. Would you guys join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for these unsung heroes and heroines of scripture. God, thank you for giving us so many examples of a life worthy of following by example. God, I pray that when it comes to conflict, God, when it's so difficult to deal with, like this is one of the hardest things in life, would you help us give it the attention it demands? God, would you help us come to a resolution, even if it's not always one that we like, but God, I believe that you are working things for the best. I believe that you will continue doing things for the betterment of us and for the furthering of your kingdom. And God, would you help us deny grudges? Help us live free of grudges in our lives. God, we thank you for choosing us. Thank you for forgiving us every time that we mess up. I mean, you'd have the ultimate reason to have a grudge, but you don't show mercy and grace and compassion. And we're so thankful for it. God, be with us this week. Draw us closer to you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.